The following is a special edition of Crosswalk. Bringing today's message is Pastor Ronnie Bell. For those of you that don't know me, I am Ronnie Bell, sometimes known as Reverend, sometimes known as Pastor, but you can just call me Ronnie. That'd be fine. Uh, And I'm filling in for Pastor Clay this morning, getting the opportunity to uh, fill in the pulpit. I didn't get to do that before several months ago, and so I didn't want to turn it down. He had called me a couple weeks ago and said, what are you doing on the 18th? And I said, well, we are planning on going to the mountains. There's fall festivals going on this weekend. So we're going to meet some friends up there, and we're going to take in some of the fall festivals, and just hang out with some friends. Why? He said, well, the 18th is open. I got opportunity for you to preach and was just wondering if you'd like to stand in the pulpit. And I'm like, yeah, put me in. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, positive, put me in the slot. I'm like, I would much rather come to church and preach in front of my home crowd, my, my peers here, my brothers and sisters at Cross Culture, than go to the mountains and take in the fall festival. So we got to chit-chatting around a little bit after that, and I said, by the way, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'm taking the family to the mountains, and we're going to go to the fall festival. (laughs) I'm like, somewhere he rooked me on that one. But he and I talked, and and I know he's been doing the Truth Project, and I I pray that you guys are, are gaining insight from that, and you're learning, and it's challenging you. But I told him if all the same that I would... Brother, just uh, let him handle the truth project, and he can pick that up next week when he's back here. And that I would preach a message that God has laid on my heart. And I hope, if you have your Bible, that you'll use that. Uh, For those that you don't, this is my first time of doing PowerPoint, where I preach at the beach during the summer. Looks a lot different than this. I'm used to golf carts and water in the background. And so I pray that I've done a good enough job with the, uh, the PowerPoint here that you'll be able to read along with the Scripture. But I want to talk a little bit about God's standard of righteousness this morning. And this story comes out of Riverton, Kansas. It's about five or six teenage boys that had planned and plotted to go on this shooting rampage and murder a bunch of kids in their high school. And lo and behold, that they had uh, put all of what they were going to do, their whole plan on MySpace. And the authorities ran across it on MySpace and kind of fold their plot, praise the Lord. But I realized that according to, to God's word, even though that these young men hadn't committed the murder, according to God's word that, you know, we are guilty of sin long before we commit the physical act of it, folks. And that according to God's standard of righteousness that we'll talk about this morning, these boys, these young men were guilty of the sin of murder even though they had yet to commit the physical act of it. Because we need to realize where sin begins. Sin begins in the heart, not in the physical act. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We'll be covering uh, about six verses this morning on God's standard of righteousness. And as we look at God's Word, I think as you look at uh, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes... And what, God's co- what Jesus is really covering through there is that God's standard of righteousness begins in the hearts of God's people. God's standard of righteousness is not about our outward works. It's about what's been changed and what's going on inside of here. The motives and intents of our heart. And as Jesus is preaching what's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, 
He's preaching what the kingdom of God looks like in the hearts and the lives of his people here on earth. This is a little bit what the kingdom of God looks like now, folks, in the hearts of the people who are going to follow me, who trust God. And he goes through these beatitudes, these blessed statements, you know, blessed are you whose lives represent these blessed characteristics. You are the people that are following God. You are the people that are trusting in God. And Jesus knew that among the crowd, as is always common when Jesus is teaching, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are always gathering around to challenge Jesus. And Jesus knows that they're there. And Jesus also knows that what the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, have been teaching is not God's standard of righteousness. It's man's standard of righteousness. And he knows that the, the righteousness that they teach these people that are gathered is a, a righteousness based on outward appearance. A righteousness that's based on following rules and regulations, regardless of what's going on in the heart. And so as Jesus begins to break down what the difference is in the standard of righteousness, and he knows that the Pharisees there and the scribes, he really draws contrast to what they teach about what God's standard of righteousness is and what God's standard of righteousness really is. And in Matthew, if the scripture is there, I know it's small, Jesus writes on over into Matthew 23, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And then he goes on in Mark, if that's next, Will. This is what Jesus says when he's speaking also to the, to the priests and the Pharisees, the scribes, about religious tradition. And he, he quotes Isaiah in 29. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, and as it is written... And you might find yourself here. You might find yourself oftentimes that we practice this in our very own lives and in church. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And what Jesus is drawing the contrast to is there's a, a huge difference between God's righteousness that takes place in the heart and man's righteousness that appears on the outside. Jesus is saying there is a huge difference between walking the walk, talking the talk, and the righteousness that God has changed on the inside of your heart. Because Jesus is drawing it down to this very thing in the scripture we're going to deal with today about where sin begins and the differenceness between the righteousness of God is not about following rules and regulations. Although when God changes our heart, it should change the way we act and the way we look. But there's a lot of people that believe that you can be righteous in the eyes of God just by being churchy on the outside. Just by following rules and regulations of coming to church and paying your tithes. And Jesus said, no, righteousness is not about that. Righteousness is about what's been changed on the inside. And so Jesus draws this down into verses 21 through 26. I think it will encompass this. Is God's standard of righteousness demands, is that up there? That we do not harbor anger. God's standard of righteousness demands for the Christian 
that we do not harbor anger. The whole thing Jesus is painting here is what the lives of those who follow Christ look like. What the lives look like for those who belong to the kingdom of God now. And he's narrowing this down to this very topic about anger. How many of you have ever been angry in your life about something? How many of you have ever showed up in church angry in your heart? Come on now. I know a whole lot of them hands went down. I know. I know. God knows. BJ said Jesus knows. You know, a lot of times we, we show up angry. A lot of times angry, anger is part of our life. And Jesus knows that these Pharisees are teaching this, this commandment about righteousness. And he says in verses 21 through 22, uh, con- concerning the fact that we shouldn't harbor anger in us. The fact that there are three things I think that this scripture will point out about why God's standard of righteousness demands that we shouldn't harbor anger in our life. And the first one is already up there. Because it leads to murder. He says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Then Jesus says, but I say to you. And Jesus is saying, listen, you've taught the the law of God from the Old Testament. From Exodus 20, thou shall not commit murder. Jesus says, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, those are some strong words right there. And Jesus is saying, listen, yeah, you taught that murder only consists of when you commit the physical act of it. But Jesus says, no, I'll tell you this. Here's what God's law meant by that. God's law meant that if you even think and say such a thing, you're guilty not of just the court. You're guilty of the fire of hell. Because Jesus knows, guys, that the the very seed of anger flourishes and blooms into something far more dangerous than that. it, It really culminates what the murderous intent of the heart is. Jesus says if you even speak angry to a person, you're just as guilty as a murderer. Those are harsh words. That we would be guilty of the fire of hell just as Just as much as if we had committed the sin of murder. And some of you are going to say, well, what about righteous anger? How many of you have thought about that? What about righteous anger? Wasn't Jesus righteous when he went into the temples and he overturned the money changers' tables? And he said, you've turned my father's house of prayer into a, a den of thievery? Wasn't that righteous anger? Yeah, Jesus was righteous when he did that. You and I are not Jesus. The last time I think we checked, we're not Jesus. And the problem with that, folks, is we have a hard time staying on the right side of the line of justice and righteousness when it comes to being angry and hating the sin and being angry and hating the person. You agree with me on that? A lot of times we fall over that line where we get confused and oftentimes our anger is directed at the person 
and not necessarily at the sin. And we end up being angry with people in our relationships. Jesus says, you're guilty. It's not about whether you actually went out and someone seen you do that. I'm looking at the heart. And if you even speak so much as an angry word, have this angry thought to somebody, you're guilty. And see, I recognize how quickly, have you ever recognized how quickly anger can advance in your life? You ever realize how quick anger can move to hatred, to a hateful thought about a person? How quick anger can move from hate and even to murder? What about the account in Genesis 4? Y'all remember that account with Cain and Abel? When Cain and Abel were bringing their offering before the Lord, and the Lord dealt with Cain about his offering, and he said it's not acceptable. And it said what? Cain was what? What does it say Cain was? He was angry. And then it said the Lord continued to speak to him. And he says, why are you angry? He could see that his countenance, his face was downcast. And he told him, listen, this anger is about to overtake you. It's sin, it's crouching, it wants to devour you. This thing called anger that's brewing in his heart, can you see it? Can you see the progression of it? And this is what Jesus is referring to. Listen, God's standard of righteousness is not just about whether you commit the physical act. It's about where it begins. It's about where that seed starts at with anger. He says, we don't need to be harboring that in our life because it leads to murder. And that's exactly what happened with Cain. Cain says, well, yeah, come on, Abel. Let's go on out into the field. We're going to throw the Frisbee today. No, he went out there and he killed him. says he killed him. He murdered him. And see, I recognize, folks, that you know what? That is a physical aspect of murder. But I think that there's another aspect of murder that we oftentimes overlook when we're angry. And that's oftentimes that anger can lead to a hatred that can lead to what I call a relational murder. Where we emotionally and relationally kill people in our lives. Kill the relationship of people around us that we maybe weren't friends with at one time. And I recognize even in my own life when I was a young man and I was living at home. 15 years old, my mom and dad divorced. And I stayed with my dad for a, a little over a year. Got on around the time, this was, I was probably about 16. By the time I was about 17, I recognized that, you know what, he was looking for a wife. He brings this new woman in, and uh, she's got two young girls, and she and I didn't quite, we didn't, we didn't see eye to eye real good. And so he tells me, you got to go. You got to get out of this house. You know, it's time for you to leave. I'm like, well, I'm just, just dad, I've been with you the whole time. I mean, I've stuck through the thick and the thin with you. It's like, you got to go. And you know, I know what that anger is like brewing inside. I know what that hatred is like. I know how quick that little seed of anger, that thought of anger, can move to such hatred that I could commit murder relationally with my dad for 23 years. He and I never spoke with each other. We never seen each other for 23 years. And look what God's Word says in 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Folks, we can't say that we love God and hate our brother. It's a contradiction to the Christian life. It's a contradiction. We've got to recognize where this sin of anger begins. 
And we need to understand what the righteousness of God talks about, that it comes from a change in our heart. It's not based on some outward action. It's about a changed heart. We have to learn to forgive just as Christ forgave us. If we're ever going to move past this, if we're ever going to learn not to harbor anger in our hearts, it's going to be because we've trusted in Christ. God's standard of righteousness is inside of our heart. And God has helped me forgive people as he's forgiven us. That's the second thing I want to share with you. In verse 23 through 24, you know, God's standard of righteousness demands that we don't harbor anger because it does lead to murder. It can. But it also... Anger defiles our worship. Look at what he says here. Jesus continues on talking about, listen, if you say something angry to a person, you're guilty. And he says, listen, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now, look at the wording of that, folks. Don't miss that. That you come to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has has something this person in your life this person who was in your life you remember they have some something against you says leave your altar leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother then come and present your offering see jesus is saying listen when you recognize this is going on and and you come to present your offering listen you need to go make it right first Because when you come in here and you present your offering to God and you expect a blessing and we're trying to be churchy and righteous on the outside, God sees the heart and he says, your worship is not right. Your worship is not right. You leave your offering right here at the altar first and then you go make it right with that person you know who is at odds with you. Recognize Jesus doesn't say, uh, "Go go make it right with them because... Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's your fault. Since it's your fault, you be the one to go initiate reconciliation. Mm-mm. Jesus says, no. God's standard of righteousness demands that we go. He puts the ball in our court, folks. As children of God, he says, no. It's incumbent upon you as ministers of reconciliation, as children of God, as ambassadors of Christ, that we would go make it right with this person before we present our our offering at the altar. How many times do we come in here? What is this right here? Forget it, Spider-Man. What is it? It's a mask. I actually got this from Chris Lee that belonged to his pajama set. <laughs> Let's just pick on Chris Lee today. I love you, brother. Yeah, it is a mask. And I often realize that, you know, where do we wear these things a lot? Do you ever wear these in your life? Besides, we don't talk about Halloween. (laughs) I say people wear these a lot in their life. I say that people wear these a lot in church in their life. And maybe you will find yourself here in this story. Maybe there's been a Sunday morning when you're getting ready and things are good in the church and things are going well. And mom and dad, the children in the house, everything's going along well. And you realize, oh my goodness, we're running short on time. And one spouse says to another, will you please hurry up? We're going to be late for church. Well, I would if you get out of the bathroom so I could get in there. But if the children would get out of bed and we could get, you get them dressed. Have you ever been there? And then we get in the car. And then the fuse to the dynamite is already being lit. And then on the way to church, 
It's like crazy, right? And then before you get out of the car, this gets put on, and everybody gets out of the car like, uh, yeah, good to see you. And we come in here, and we're worshiping God, and God bless the praise and worship team. I love them. You know, we're worshiping, and our hands are raised, and we're taking in the praise and worship songs, and we're presenting our offering of worship and sacrifice to God, and, and, and we forget that we've just come from our home 20 minutes away in a full-blown argument, full of anger in our heart at our spouse. And we come in here, and God says, your worship is defiled. Your worship is defiled. First, you leave your offering at the altar, and then you go and make it right with that person you're at odds with, that person that's got something against you. And it might not be your spouse. It might not be that you had an argument on the way to church this morning, but it's possible you did. But God is calling us to be his ambassadors. God is calling us to be the blessed peacemakers, to be the ones who thirst and hunger for righteousness and the ones who are pure of heart, that we would first go seek to do what is right in the eyes of God and therefore come back to the altar and then present our offering to God so that it will be acceptable in His sight. God is saying, recognize, listen, my standard of righteousness calls you to do it better. My standard of righteousness is raising you up to be different from those in the world, folks. And if we refuse to be ministers of reconciliation with one another and with those that we're at odds with, how in the world can we expect for people to want to follow the very God that we proclaim when we can't get it right ourselves because we refuse to? When we know that those things are going on in our life, we need to reconcile. We need to reconcile. We need to realize how quick that anger can move us to a situation to where our, our worship before God can be defiled. Because when we come in, you know what we look like? We look like what Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees. Their lips honor me, but their hearts are far from me. On the outside, they appear righteous and churchy. And they appear holy because when you look around, man, everybody's praising and worship. We all, you know, we look good. Man, they are just worshiping the Lord this morning. But you know, you don't know what's going on in the hearts of those people sitting beside of you. But you do. You know what's going on inside of your heart and so does Christ. Since when we recognize that, the sooner we deal with that, the better. The sooner we reconcile that, the better, folks. Because the very next thing he says Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, God's standard of righteousness demands that we don't harbor anger. Not only does it lead to murder, not only does it defile our worship, but it costs us greatly. What does he say there? Do I have it up? He says, settle matters quickly in the NIV. In the NASB, he says, make friends quickly. Settle matters quickly. There's a time associated with consequences here. He says, make friends quickly in verse 25. With your opponent at law while you are on the way with him. So that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge. And the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid the last cent. See he shows this progression. There's a time frame folks in which we need to 
pursue reconciliation. In which we need to recognize that this anger has grown to such a, an extent that it's, it's consuming us. It's overtaking us. And that we need to hurry and settle these matters quickly. Why do we need to settle matters quickly before you're on the way to the court? Because it's going to cost us when we get there. Jesus is saying, listen, if you wait until you get there, if you wait and let time progress and pass and pass and pass, what happens, folks, when you let anger set? Does it get better? It gets worse. It grows. It festers. And Jesus recognized that this is exactly what it does, that it continues to fester inside of us. And generally what happened is pride starts getting in the way. Pride starts getting in the way and we say, well, you know what? It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's their fault that we're in this predicament, that we've had this falling out, that I'm angry because of what they did to me or what they said to me. Jesus said, it doesn't matter. You go make it right. Well, if they hadn't have done this, then I wouldn't have done that. Jesus said it doesn't matter. It's incumbent upon us as ministers of reconciliation that we would take the step to go make it right. And he said settle matters quickly because there are consequences, folks. Number one, it's just plain sin when we know that our hearts aren't right and yet we're coming before God trying to present our lives of worship and praise to Him when we know that there are things unreconciled in our heart. In relationships with other people. In relationships with Him. Because that's what it does. It breaks our relationship with Him. It grieves the Spirit. Our relationship with God is broken. Regardless of how holy we look on the outside in church. Our relationship with God is broken. And there's a loss of joy. There's a loss of peace in our own lives. Because we know that we're not right. We know that God has called us to go make things right, even though they're not our fault, even though these people might be at enmity with us. That God is saying, listen, you go make it right. That's what I've called you to do. That's my standard of righteousness, is that these are the people who you are. You are the blessed peacemakers. You are the ambassadors. You are the ministers. You go make it right. I remember about, we got saved in 2001, October the 14th. Not yet, just recently celebrated that anniversary here. I remember about a year after I got saved, I got a phone call. It said, Ronnie, your dad's in the hospital. He's out at Duke, and he's had a massive heart attack, and it don't look good. I don't know if he's going to make it. And you know what I thought of? 23 years worth of anger left me just like that. You know, as much as I tried to live my life for those 23 years and say, you know what, and we do it, we do it, and say, you know what, I'm over that. I'm not worried about that anymore. I've gotten over that. I moved on with my life. You know, yeah, we don't have this relationship, father and son, but it's okay. I got my own family. You know what, I'm good. I don't worry about it. I've forgotten all about that. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. That's a lie. That's a lie. We tote that stuff around the right situation, the right conversation, or bring it up just like that. And that angle resurface every time. But when I got that call about my dad, about his life hanging on, all I could think of was, God, please let him hang on until I can get to his bedside. Please let him live, God, so I can get, so I can get to him, Lord, and I can tell him how much I love him. 
So I can tell him that I was sorry. Even though I don't, it didn't matter whose fault it was anymore. You know, that I realized those 23 years had been wasted because of pride, because of stubbornness, because I wanted to be right, because I wanted to lie to myself and say I was fine with it. But I wasn't. And I recognized that I had to go make it right because God asked me to go make it right. You know, that we should never get to the point that our pride gets in the way of what's going on inside of our heart from going and making reconciliation, from saying, you know what? Please forgive me. I'm sorry. You know what? My relationship with you means far more than me being right or me having my way. And I I went to his bedside and I just asked him for forgiveness, you know, and he met me with a smile and he grabbed my hand and he told me he loved me. You know, and I recognized, man, that I wasted a lot of our life, man, just being stubborn, just letting that anger fester in my heart and not realizing, man, that God's standard of righteousness is You've got to go take care of that. And when I did, you know what? Granted, our relationship never got back to what it was. And, you know, that's part of the consequence, folks. Sometimes there are irreparable damages that are done when we, our pride lets us go on and on and on, and we refuse to reconcile. But, you know, I recognize even several years later when he passed away, you know what? I was at peace with God. And I was at peace with me, you know, that he and I, were on good terms together. You know that we had reconciled that relationship just by going and saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And you know, God's standard of righteousness demands that we do not harbor anger in our heart, guys, because it's sin. It destroys our relationships with one another. It defiles our worship with God. You know, and it can even cost us our very souls As Jesus says, if we continue to go on and on and on and we refuse to reconcile with God. And as we pray this morning, folks, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I'm going to ask the praise and worship team, if they would, to to come up. As we pray this morning, folks, all I want to ask you to do is to just search your heart. To ask God to search your heart and to reveal to you those relationships that need to be mended. You know, even this morning while you may have been in here praising and worshiping the Lord and looking holy on the outside and looking all righteous on the inside, Jesus knows your heart. And there are many of you here today that I have no doubt that have broken relationships, strained relationships, friendships either with with a parent, with a spouse, with a friend, with a co-worker, somebody that you know has gone on far too long and you've not reconciled that. And God's calling you to do that today. And maybe you need to get right with God. Maybe you've never even trusted God as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to reconcile with God because you know God has been drawing you, but you just kind of kept Him at arm's length. I just ask that you do business with God here this morning, folks. If there are things that you know that you need to reconcile with God, that you would come and you would make that happen today. I'll be down front. Bill, some others will be down front. You know, and if you need to come and pray, you need someone to pray with you, I'll be glad to pray with you. I'll be glad to talk about your relationship with the Lord, whether you have questions about the church, maybe you've got questions about baptism, whatever it is, folks. Just do business with God this morning as he lays that on your heart. Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord God. And we just give you thanks, Lord God, because in spite of our sinfulness, yet while we were sinners, 
Christ, you said that you died for us anyway. Lord, you showed that you love us in spite of our sinfulness, Lord God. Father, that your righteousness far exceeds our sinfulness, Lord God. Father, and just by coming to you, Lord. Father, and for asking for reconciliation, Lord. Asking that you would set us free, Lord. That you would restore our soul, Lord God. You said that you would do that. Lord, you are faithful and just to your word, Lord. And I pray that you would lead those people today, Father, that have that burden on their heart, Lord God, to come and make it right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cross Culture Church has a new home in Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross culture worship with upbeat Christ centered music and timely, encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 10 30 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I 540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.